Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Waypoint Podcast. This week's Parsha, Parshat Noah, we find out that the earth was exceedingly wicked. And the earth would ultimately be judged for this. But uh, Noah himself was found innocent in his generation. His generation was entirely wicked. He was the only one who was found righteous. So Noah would be spared. Uh, Hashem instructed Noah to build an ark and to fill it with animals. Uh, We also find out at this point that Noah was familiar with the differences between clean animals and unclean animals. After the flood, Noah is given more instructions on how to live in this new world. Uh, The curse of Adam would then be lifted from the earth at this point, and a covenant was made with Noah, uh, promising never to flood the earth again. Uh, After this, we get an interesting story about Noah getting drunk uh, and Canaan seeing him in his full glory. uh, And Noah then cursed his grandson Ham for this. There's tons of interesting thoughts on that. But continuing in our parasha, we read the generations of Noah's sons, otherwise known as the list of 70 nations. Um, the culmination of this week's Parsha ends with the Tower of Babel. Uh, this is something familiar to most of us, uh, as one of the famous names mentioned in the 70 Nations is Nimrod, and we understand him being the overseer of this project. So Hashem also confused the languages of the people so they wouldn't coagulate in one area, and they would continue to overspread the earth as the initial commandment was. And... That is a brief summary of what we read over in this week's Parsha. With that, I will pass it off to my friend Seamus for the wonderful lesson he has prepared for us. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Waypoint Podcast, where we discuss little nuggets of insight from the weekly Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Parashat Noah. It's a fairly long one, and there's so much to choose from when it comes to reading this Torah portion on what to speak about. We only have so much time here on the Waypoint podcast, and I really was torn between many different topics. Um, Just my notes here, uh, the baptism of the world, the window in the ark. We can save that one for next year, maybe, or another time. Uh, The reversed Pentecost, so to speak, of the Tower of Babel. There was so much to choose from. This this parasha is very rich with good little nuggets of insight. But actually, I kind of want to focus instead on the opening verses, or rather the opening verse, of this week's Torah portion. Parashas Noach opens with the following verse. I'm reading actually from a stone edition, Chumash. These are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah had begotten three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. And actually, that's about where I'm going to stop because those are the two verses that I want to focus on the most. Because uh, in my studies, I came across some uh, interesting concepts that are hidden within the Hebrew of this particular verse. I say hidden, it's not exactly hidden, but uh, it's an interesting piece of insight, per- uh, particularly from the Or Chachaim, actually. So 
I have the Orchachaim here, and I'm just going to read to you uh, some a number of things that he brings up. Uh, he has five different questions. We're only going to focus on one today, but he has five. One, why did it need to repeat that Noah fathered three sons? Was this not already written in the previous parasha from verse uh, chapter 5, verse 32? Two, why did it need to mention the name Noah twice? A, if you'll notice, we go back to the uh, these are the offsprings of uh, these are the offspring of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Why say the name twice? What's going on here? Uh, three. <clears throat> why did the verse need to say that the total number of sons was three? This is obvious. It only needs to list the three sons. It doesn't need to number them and then list them. Number four. The verse did not need to say the word sons. Because simply by saying he fathered, it is understood that the sons being mentioned would be his sons. And five, which is actually um, where we are going to uh, focus, is why did the Torah write the word et three times in the verse, once before each name? So uh, for those of you who are not uh, totally tracking here, <clears throat> um the et is a is a is a word in Hebrew, but it doesn't translate to anything. It's more of a of a um, object. It's something. It's a linguistic tool that Hebrew uses in order to help guide the way that the Hebrew should be understood and read. Uh, so it doesn't actually have a translation. It doesn't really translate to anything, but it is a word in Hebrew. Um, et. It's pr it's pronounced et unless you're Ashkenazi. Then you say s. <laughs> the tav becomes a sav. But uh, there is an interesting uh, conundrum here. The word et usually indicates the object of a verb. Now, in our verse, the verb is fathered. Okay, but the object, the objects, I should say, are the three sons. And it would be more than enough to say et and then list the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Um, but instead, the verse actually is is careful to put an et before each of the names. Um, and so if you uh, if anyone is actually interested here, <clears throat> uh, it is benim et shem et ham ve'et yafet. And so it, it's kind of a little redundant. There's really no need to put et before each and every individual name. Um, it's kind of a waste of letters, really. And one thing that we know about the Torah is that it does not waste letters. It does things particularly on purpose to stand out to us so that we can look at it and try to find some sort of insight that the Torah is trying to point us to, a waypoint, if you will, <laughs> uh, in order to guide us in our understanding of what is trying to be relayed in the message. So I'm going to focus on this particular problem. <laughs> And uh, before I get into it a whole lot, uh, let's just kind of go over a general idea. Um, this particular concept is going to be important as we discuss the et before the three names. There, uh, so it's fairly common and understood that Noah um, is a sort of shadow or a figure type of the Messiah. Uh, one, it's found in his name, right? Um, Noah means comforter. Now, it comes from Nachum, which means rest. Uh, his mother named him for 
uh, for that reason from rest. And uh, Menachem is actually a name that shares the similar root. Uh, Menachem is, is one of the names of Messiah actually mentioned in the Babylonian Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin 98b. And so Noah uh, is a sort of shadow figure of the Messiah. And right away, I think you know where I'm going with this. Noah um, essentially saved his family from the judgment that the earth would suffer and all of mankind, which is a sort of type of Mashiach figure. That doesn't exactly answer our question, though. And the concept that I'm referring to is called the merit of the fathers. So in Judaism, there's an idea that salvation is earned by the fathers of the faith and that uh, essentially everybody's quote-unquote salvation is on their merit. Uh, essentially, God made a promise to the founding fathers, the, the fathers of the faith, and because of that promise he made to them, uh, it's of no doing, it's of no merit of your own, it's by their merit that you receive salvation because God made a promise to them. So the concept is called the merit of the fathers. So we're going to talk about this a little bit here. Actually, a lot of it here. <laughs> uh, this is uh, in attempt to answer question number five, why the three et? <clears throat> Furthermore, the truth is that despite the fact that Noah's sons had not reached the age of punishment when the flood came, this is to say that uh, they were not yet of the age of accountability to be accountable for any of their sins. And there's a sort of theory, it's kind of a long story, but the, the long story short is that Noah knew the flood was coming. And so he made sure to have his sons, uh, you know, it, within the time frame that the flood would show up. This is a theory uh, that, that they were, that they would still be young when the flood would happen so that they would not be destroyed in the flood on account of their age. They would not be held liable for their actions because they would be too young. Um, now that this is essentially Noah's thinking, um, but it doesn't matter, uh, essentially because plenty of young, uh, underaged, not really held accountable for their, uh, actions yet, uh, were still destroyed in the flood. So this actually has nothing to do with it, but there's, uh, the idea was this was Noah's thought process, but as we will continue to explain here, um, it's not the correct process. Uh, so the Orchheim goes on to say, Nevertheless, to survive, they needed the merit of their father. And it was through his merit that they were saved. Their age alone would not have saved them. So the Orchheim goes on to say, Go and learn from all the youths of the generation of the flood who had not reached the age of punishment, but who nevertheless were destroyed as one. We will see that youth alone could not ensure escape from the punishment of the flood. So even if this was Noah's uh, thought process, it would not have mattered. Um, the, the fact is that Noah's sons were saved because of his righteousness. For it is you, Noah, whom I have seen to be righteous before me. So this verse is saying that their father, or produced, he fathered, a great benefit for his three sons, namely relief, Noah, comfort. He, he, he essentially fathered their comfort as well, which is a way that you could spin how that verse reads uh, because of the repetition. He produced a great benefit for his three sons, namely Noah, relief, from the heavenly enemies 
of their lives, the destroyers of the world. So now let's get to the triple mention of the Et. It's not only for his sons that Noah produced this result, but also for their wives, their respective wives, who are alluded to in the verses mentioning of the three Et, because they too were saved. And thus the Torah states that Noah came and his sons and the three wives of his sons uh, into the ark, for they too were saved by Noah's merit, for it is this reason that the verse says the word et three times. So we, we kind of already gone over that the merit of the fathers is a is actually a very strong Jewish opinion, and, and I'm sure that uh, you can kind of tell where I'm already going with this, that by Noah's merit, he, he was a righteous, he was called perfect in his generation, and it was by his merit that his family would earn, well, not earn, that they would receive uh, the gracious gift of salvation from the destruction of the whole world on account of their father. They did nothing in particular. The Torah actually is, seems to be very silent on the fact that we don't know how they acted. We don't know if these boys were righteous in any way uh, or that they would eventually be righteous. In fact, uh, you can kind of imply from later on in the Torah portion that at least one of them is not exactly a great guy. Um, and so the, the actual righteousness of the sons and their wives and the rest of their family has almost nothing to do. In fact, it has nothing to do with their salvation. It's, it's by the merit of the father Noah and his righteousness that they receive salvation. And so salvation is no work of their own, so to speak. Um, and if that reminds you of anybody, I think it should. Uh, and, and so there's no need to belabor the point any further. I want to actually wrap up today's short little lesson. And I'm trying to keep these fairly short with a story, a Geula story. Um, this uh, story is titled One Man in a City. The verse states from Jeremiah 3.14, I will take you, one from a city and two from a family. The Talmud expounds, Resh Lakish said, the words are as they are written, i.e. the verse should be understood according to its straightforward meaning that only the few truly righteous individuals will merit redemption. Rabbi Yochanan said, this is not pleasing to their master i.e. God, that you say this about them. Rather, one righteous person in a city will bring merit for the whole city. And the merits of two righteous people from a family will bring merit to the entire family. That's from Tractate Sanhedrin, page 111a. The explanation is as follows. Reish Lakish interprets the verse based on its simple meaning, which here represents the redemption from the perspective of the attribute attribute of judgment. From this perspective, however, only very few people who are deserving will merit the redemption. Rabbi Yochanan, however, explains the verse in a completely opposite light, that, the, that even the Jews who are not truly righteous will also be redeemed in the merit of those who are truly righteous, since the righteous do good deeds on behalf of the Jewish people, and to try and influence them to do the same. They are actually protect. They actually protect and give merit to the Jewish people, elevating them and causing them all to be worthy of redemption. The final ruling concurs with the view of Rabbi Yochanan. So once again, we're talking uh, about the merit of the fathers. 
there is a the, the story goes on further to explain a, a point of view from the Rambam uh, that a person should view himself as being equally balanced between half merits and half sins that he's exactly balanced uh, for those of you who might be reading Tanya you may have just uh, you may understand this as a Benoni <clears throat> or the in-betweener as he sits right in between and so uh so to the world as equally balanced, i.e. half merits and half sins. If he performs even one sin, he tips the balance and the balance of the entire world to the side of guilt and causes destruction. Conversely, if he does even one mitzvah, one commandment, one good deed, he tips the balance and the balance of the entire world to the side of merit and brings salvation and deliverance for himself and for the entire world. This is implied by the verse, a righteous man is the fountain of the world, meaning he who acted righteously tipped the balance of the entire world to the side of merit and saved it. That's from uh, Hilchot Teshuva 3.4. So this idea is, a, is an important idea within uh, Judaism as a whole. It's, it's not anything new or, or invented by Paul the Apostle, let's say, or any of the disciples. Um, this is a very common theme you're going to see throughout a lot of the Tanakh, especially the Torah, as we move forward with these episodes in the Waypoint. Uh, but this is a, definitely an instance in which I think this is the first instance in which we see this uh, concept very explicitly, and it's right in the first verses of Parashas Noah. So I wanted to sort of focus that and, and give you guys a little bit of nugget of insight on how the merit of the fathers works. Um, and, and what the thought process is behind God's gracious, uh, God's graciousness, you know, that he's not this constantly ruling the world through just judgment, but also through mercy. And he's so merciful that he's even willing to uh, judge the entire world based on the merit of a single person instead in order to save the entire world. And that is uh, a very beautiful concept. And we certainly serve a very loving and gracious God. I hope this insight was uh, fulfilling and, and insightful. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, I enjoy making these little uh, studies, uh, little nuggets of insights uh, for the Waypoint. And uh, yeah, uh, after, so I will now hand you back to my compatriot, Brad. Uh, he's got some closing thoughts for you. And so uh, I will now turn it over to him. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Waypoint, and we will see you next week. Hello, everybody. It's me again. What a fantastic lesson. Um, I, I definitely know that I was uh, touched by that. And in in the spirit of that, some final thoughts on this week's Parsha. The Haftarah for the week was from Isaiah 54, 1 through 10, in which Israel is being encouraged to rejoice and not be ashamed that the shame of the past is in the past. Just as the wickedness of mankind was left only a memory of the flood. Uh, in fact, the Parsha even makes this comparison in verse 9. Verse 9 actually compares what's being spoken about uh, to the flood of Noah. Just as creation itself was reborn after being mikvah, so to speak. Uh, and just as Noah's sons were able to live to see the new world for the sake of their father's obedience, we should remember that on the merit of the obedience of our master, we also are new creations and may live to see the new world after judgment. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. We hope that you will also bless the like and subscribe button. And we definitely thank you for joining us. Shalom. Special thanks to this month's Patreon supporters. 